Welcome back, everyone. I guess we're we're in for it today on the podcast. Um, no, no funny jokes today. Apparently, no laughter, no glee, no giddy, no pure joyous uh, euphoria that we we tend to start this show off with for whatever reason. So I have the ever so glum and um, and depressed gents here today. Maybe they're not that glum. I don't know. But I got um, Lieutenant Commander Eric, and I'm not sure if he's still an ensign in my first officer or not. But no, I've I've been promoted back to normal now. Are you are you a captain now? Maybe. Oh, okay. Wait, hold on, hold on. Did I get jumped over as first officer? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was about to say. Did you just say? <laughs> well, no, because I was ensign first like, officer last week. That's right. Like, now, I ha- now I'm, I've I been have- demoted but promoted. Unlike okay. the people on Discovery, I have career ambitions. <laughs> Oh, dang. Dang. No, I'm just a lieutenant commander again, so I've been promoted but demoted. C- congratulations. Thank you. I'm proud I of you. I expect a party in 10 forward. And we'll all say yes. We don't have 10 forward on this ship. <laughs> we'll no, but on our ship. Forward. Our ship. On our ship. Okay. Or whatever it, you want to call it. You could call it something else. We have, like, it's more like five forward on our ship, I think. Yeah. Maybe it's six backward. I don't know, but we definitely have a promenade. <laughs> we have a little, we have an area where we're going to do something. Six backwards. Let's take a look at the like nacelles, <laughs> nacelles behind us. <laughs> we can see the ships exiting the cargo bay. That's some good looking ship. <laughs> so, so does book ship have a name or is it just book ship? I think it's called the Millennium Falcon. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, okay. Your alternate timelines. Well, we'll we'll talk about the Millennium Falcon of Star Trek here in just a little while. Um, anyway, everyone, welcome to another episode of Engage. I know we're being a little irreverent, but hey, what's new? Um, welcome to another episode of Engage. Uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, with Engage being part of these are the voyages, the main podcast. Uh, each week, we take a look at um, a new episode of Star Trek during its original run. And um, if the title of this um, episode didn't give it away, we're going to be diving into Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. And um, anyways, whenever we do these shows, we kind of just talk generally about like the story. So this is not spoiler-free. So uh, the beauty of this podcast is you can hit the pause button and go watch it and come back and hear us talk about it. So um, if you haven't watched already, please go watch it on CBS All Access if you are in the United States, Netflix, um, elsewhere around the world. So um, anyways, we're going to speak generally about stuff that we saw um, in terms of like the story and kind of mixed in throughout. We'll talk about maybe stuff that kind of worked for us and stuff that didn't work so much for us. And Towards the end of this episode, we are going to give it a rating uh, one, between 1 and 10. So, um, anyway, welcome welcome to this this um, installment of Engage, like I already said. So, gents. Not spoiler-free. Not spoiler-free once again. <laughs> yeah. We, I don't want to get an hour and a half in, you know, when I'm wrapping this up and saying it's not spoiler-free. <laughs> anyway, I tend to do that. Maybe like 30 minutes, an hour in. I don't know. I'm, I'm uneven with that. So, well, guys, we uh, 
we're we're in for another another discussion of this. And before we we really talk about this episode, I just kind of like want to ask y'all a question, um, kind of unrelated to Star Trek. But you know, we're at the beginning of December, so everyone, welcome to December. If you're listening to it as it's as this episode's airing, and I started getting some Christmas presents for for my family, mainly my wife right now. And I put them, I wrapped them, and I, I put them under the Christmas tree. And she's like, why would you do this to me? Now I got to stare at this for like the next three weeks? Like, what do you, what do you hate me or that's something? Why, that's why you did it, right? I'm like, I don't hate you, hon. I do because I love you. I mean, I wouldn't get you anything if I didn't care about you. So what's y'all, what's y'all's stance on like Christmas presents and like wrapping them and putting them under the tree, you know, well, well before you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve even happens. It's a psycho move. It's a psycho move. Got it. We we never we never put out presents until like literally the um, I mean like Christmas Eve. There were a couple for like the family that were coming the following day, and then uh, well, it depended on which household. But like my dad's household, they still did the whole Santa thing for like way too long, mm-hmm. and then. My mom's household, it was a little different, but they still put the presents out the night before. So, no, we never had anything under the tree. Okay. Did, did you guys ever have those, like, fake fake presents that was just, like, a box that was wrapped and it was, like, it was like for decoration and you, everyone knew it was, like, just an empty box? But you Grandparents would, like, would do that, You yeah. would store them away in the closet with the rest of your huh. Christmas ornaments and then bring them out and put them under the tree just so, like, your tree didn't look empty, like, around the bottom of it? That's kind yeah. of like a stroke of genius. Like, You've never heard of that? No, I've never, I've never seen that or heard of that. No, I, I heard this like this like play. It's like a joke on that. It said, "Put a bunch of these fake presents around the base of your tree if you have kids, and if ever they do something bad, just grab one of them and throw them in, throw them away or throw them in the fire." It's like, oh, there goes one gift. You were bad. That is psycho. <laughs> <laughs> David called me psycho. Eric, that is psycho. It's a, it's like a joke. It's like a meme or something I've seen online. Oh, good grief. Wow. Okay, so I guess I'm the only one that's, like, you wrap them and you put them up. Okay, cool. It's, it's fine. It's whatever. I'm not hurt. Oh. I, don't, I haven't bought anyone a Christmas gift in, like, six or seven years because I don't celebrate Christmas. Maybe I should send yours back then. Okay. <laughs> I didn't get you anything. <laughs> By the way, I will say this right now, since we are talking about gifts, that um, pretty soon we're about to um, open up um, a podcast store. So if you want to buy T-shirts and leggings and those gro- like reusable grocery bag and a whole sort of different things, uh, keep an eye out on the group for that. Uh, they'll be coming out here pretty soon uh, for you to snag some stuff. We have like three or four, maybe five some odd designs uh, of stuff that you can um, get you know, sweatshirts, t-shirts, like I said, just whatever logo you like, get after it. So let's go ahead and let's dive right on into the sanctuary. So first off, um, this is, we are well into the back half of this um, third season and the sanctuary, if I'm not a crazy man, is it's once again directed by number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. So um, 
before we really get into the story, what y'all think of of Frakes's take on well, well, on directing? R- real this? quick, first, can I just ask why is it called the Sanctuary? I don't understand why it's called the Sanctuary. That's the name of their planet. Not the name of the planet, but the name of where they live on the planet. Where they keep the where they brought the the, the transworm. Well, no, no, this is not That's where they brought planet. the transworm. Was that? Yeah, it looks the same yeah. to me. So I I thought that that when they call it the sanctuary, we were gonna be going back to where Book dropped yeah. off the transworm in the first episode. But this is someplace totally different. Okay, that completely screwed me up then because like that makes sense why. I was confused with the dialogue because at one point Michael Burnham's like, I can't wait to go see your home planet or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, they're going to his actual home. And that's why I was confused because I thought that this place that we were going was the place that we saw in what was it? Episode one. Episode one. Yeah. That's not the same place. That would have made more sense to me, but like to call this the sanctuary, I mean, yeah, they have like a fancy shielding mechanism and everything. And it's, um, another character that I don't yeah, it's his brother. So anyway, his brother lives in a nice, fancy palace-looking thing. Not a palace. It's fancy. He's got a fancy chandelier, so... He's got a fancy. fancy cabin in the woods. Yeah, but, I mean, the sanctuary, like, I, I don't know. There's still... Maybe, the, like, the sanctuary is just, like, an ancient name or an old name for the planet because it was, su- it was such a nice place before the burn, right? It was what mm. caused all their problems and, like... So it's ironically calling it the sanctuary. The, the, well, no, it's just they didn't want to change the name, right? There's <laughs> yeah. like, we're 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 no longer Vulcan, we're Navarre, but no, we're still the sanctuary. Okay, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Jonathan Frakes, right? Yeah, Jonathan Frakes, um, who's known for directing some really excellent episodes of of TV and movies. Um, you know, he's come back in recent years to, you know, to direct Discovery and, of course, Picard. And, you know, we're back again with him directing um, um, his second episode of Discovery this season. And I remember that um, we were kind of mixed in terms of, like, his direction, uh, mixed to negative in terms of, like, how he handled people of Earth um, earlier this season. So, uh, obviously, we're not into, like, actually talking about the story, but just, like, maybe an an overview of of just like his direction for this particular episode with the sanctuary well he's got a lighter touch that's for sure than some of these other he's not anywhere near as heavy handed as some other directors try to be and I appreciate that from Jonathan Frakes in every episode that he's directed like ever um and I think um He's a little more playful with his characters. He doesn't want them to be as serious as some other times. So I definitely enjoyed that aspect of this episode. Very good. Okay. David? Oh, I thought it was cringy. I mean, there were so... I I understand what you're saying, Eric, but those exact same things, and I think we can probably quantitate that later or whatever, I thought crew interaction at times was was... It, it, it's it's like it's like the old joke of you know you have a bunch of thirty year olds playing teenagers in not another teen movie, you know what I mean? That's how it felt at times to me. And I also have to say this: there are far too many plots in this show. This should have either been a Georgiou episode, 
and you figure her out. This should have either been that or a Detmer episode figuring her out, or it should have been a Booker episode. You can't have, well, okay, I don't want to say you can't because I don't want to be absolute about it. I wouldn't have done three separate plot points in the show because it, it, I didn't watch this episode over again. I didn't want to. I, my, my attention drifted a lot. Uh, as I was watching it the first time, it's just too much packed into one into one thing. You could have easily gotten three separate good episodes out of this, and you could have done that mysterious character development uh, element that I keep talking about, and I know you guys have too. So to me, I think it's a mess, personally. Well, and you say three storylines. I think there's like five thing, five storylines sure, happening arguably, in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the whole... George you of it, I guess. It, from what it looks like, we're getting a two-part episode coming up. You know, it's Terra Firma Part One and Part Two. And from the looks of the previews, it looks like it's a George U-centric episode. Yeah. So I feel like there's probably room to take the George U stuff out of this episode and just put it into this next two-part episode that's coming up. And you could have let this episode breathe a little bit. Yeah, and with the, um, to your point, Eric, with, with Terra Firma Part 1 and 2, um, that was the thing I was thinking of, you know, with with the, the previews and just, you know, what we saw, like, immediately following. And then, of course, in um, uh, the Ready Room, where it kind of touches on it a little bit. And it does make me wonder, is Terra Firma 1 and 2, which the next two episodes, of course, going to be all Philippa? Or is it going to be maybe in the same vein as, like, a Best of Both Worlds, for example? I know that's probably not the best example, but, like, Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2, I mean, it was part Riker, part Picard, or part Riker, part someone else, in terms of how they Michael it Burnham. So, yeah, is, is Terra Firma going to be, like, all Philippa, or is it going to be, like, Philippa and Michael, like, in 1 and 2? I mean, we're not there yet. We need to talk about this. But I think the concerns about... The sanctuary um, are going to kind of inform and and whatnot, you know, how we go into into these next two um, back-to-back episodes. So, with that, um, we we come into this episode. <clears throat> excuse me. We come into this episode, and um, there's a couple things going on. We have Philippa who's being examined, and we also have Book kind of freaking out that there's stuff going on in his home planet, and uh, that he has to go back and at the same time that this is going on Culber's trying to figure out all the stuff going on with Philippa so these are really I know I know y'all just said there's like maybe three or four or five but these I think are like the really the A, a and B plots of this particular episode would y'all agree? I, I would, I would, I would only call the the Georgiou story the B plot because I know it feels like we're we're gonna be focusing more on that in the next episode. I think that normally I would call the Adira and Stamets part the B plot because that's the one that involves the burn, which is supposedly what this season is about. Because our A plot for maybe the first time ever this season doesn't even mention the burn. And, and to piggyback, they figured out where the burn originated. And we figured out the song. We figured out that there is a, um, a beacon from a, they're saying is uh, a Federation ship. And then we don't do anything about it because we have to go do the book thing. That's what I'm saying. That in and of itself 
should have been at the end of the episode and should have carried into the following episode. That should have been your next episode. If you're going to figure out the whole thing, like, right now, then you put it at the end. This is just me. I'm not a director. I'm not a professional. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I would have put it at the end, and then that would have been my next episode. I, I just That, to me, I don't understand. And then also one other thing I want to make mention. It's small, but it's there. I didn't care for it very much. Was our very beginning with our Orions and our new character here. I didn't like the fact... Okay, so we kill off the old... Uh, I don't remember names too well, so I don't remember the, the Tol- male Orion. Tolar. Okay, so uh, nephew here, uh, kind of like your warden of that planet or whatever, whatever you want to call him title-wise. He gets ripped a- apart by a transworm. So if you're going to execute him, execute him. Do a flash off screen. I don't need to see his foot flying. Does that bother me necessarily? No, I'm probably desensitized at this point. But I, I, I found it to be unnecessary. No, I, I would agree with that. I was thinking the same thing. Um, it, it's pretty graphic for a for a Star Trek show to see somebody like get eaten by a worm. Yeah. And 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 I, I was flashing back to the scene in Picard when Egypt gets his like eyeball ripped out, and we see it in gruesome detail. And yeah. Chase and I were talking about this then as we were watching it. Like, this is... I don't know what this episode was, but that particular episode in Star Trek Picard was TVMA. And I don't I don't know if this one has, like, a rating in front of it. I didn't see, but, like, Star Trek should never be TVMA. Ever. And, and Chase also made this mention that he said... I can't watch this with my daughter because it's too it's too graphic and yeah. and I think that's a big problem that I had too. Yeah. And maybe maybe from like a technical standpoint, I mean I agree with what you're saying about you you're both saying about it's really freaking graphic. Um, I was kind of taken out of it and maybe it's not that big of a deal, but in episode 1 of of this season, you know, that we have like the chase going around all all around the planet back to book ship and the transworm comes out and we do see the transworm, you know, eat the dude in like blood splatter onto the screen. And for me, I was kind of taken out of it because it looked like it was the same sequence that was just recycled a few episodes later. And Maybe that's not a big deal for other people, but to me, it would just—I mean, it was just kind of lazy for me. And maybe it was a different sequence altogether, but I just—I don't know. Maybe I need to go back and like I mean, actually look at that a little bit more closely. Are we being soft about this? Because this isn't the first time we've talked about like gratuitous violence. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm just going to go forward a little bit to one particular thing, where, where Michael Burnham throws a bolt at a guy's heart later on in the episode it's like can we stop like blatantly killing people it's like yeah we understand you take a phaser you're probably dead at some points we get that it's implied but these are very like i mean the 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 hand the hand weapon from the uh would that have been in the first episode or second episode that no first episode that just disintegrates people yeah, yeah, and you would even mention that they're like, this is a, a Starfleet officer, Michael Burnham. She's literally, she is just before her 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 rumspring, a gap year, right? <laughs> like she had literally just come through the wormhole, and she has no problem just shooting and killing people, right? Well, and the thing and too you were is, like, wait, she, like 
shouldn't you at least be worried about about this a little bit? Yeah, and she she saw one of those bolts strike a tree before she even had the weapon, so mm-hmm. she knew what it did. Mm-hmm. It just that it, I don't know I. I don't know if, if if I'm just being a little soft on it, because, like, I mean, listen, I, I watch my fair share of gratuitous violence, 90s action movies and beyond. I just don't necessarily expect it in in Star Trek, which right. can be violent, but it's it, I never felt that it was ever extremely, like, gratuitous. Even when you had, like, Worf swinging around a bat left. We know it made contact, but it, it didn't... You know, they, they didn't make it overly gratuitous. You know, you didn't have blood splatter everywhere. So, I don't know. Maybe we can, like, hang out here for a second. Um, you know, with, with what we've seen over the, you know, now three seasons of Discovery and even in in Picard with what Eric was talking about, what do you think the reason is, like, if we, if we had to hazard a guess, what do you think the reason is for amping up this... Like the language with amping up the the gratuitous violence, um, all the MA rating type stuff in Star Trek. I, I, I think you're trying to keep up with the HBO and the Showtime, the Game of Thrones and the Dexters and Edgy. and all of and all of those shows that have been super popular and are super violent and like seeing the sword fights in Game of Thrones and people get decapitated and torn apart. People like love that stuff there. And I think they're just saying, okay, well, it worked there. Why doesn't? Why won't it work here? Yeah, it's just, it's it's the pursuit of just being edgy. I mean, I think yeah. back. To, I think back even to, um, and, and I think I've spoken about this with Eric before. Uh, you know, in the in the '90s when we had Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager coming out, specifically with, I think Voyager, uh, with Jerry Ryan's Seven of Nine, they were trying to amp up like the sex appeal. And shows like Stargate SG-1 were trying to compete with Voyager at the time. So they added in um, another sexy character. And we were seeing that pop up all over the landscape of television with this, with an increase in sex appeal. Um, and I know that Kate Mulgrew had issues with like the sex appeal and stuff because she was actively fighting against that during Voyager's run. But... I mean, if we if we hold the two like side by side, you know, why does why does Star Trek have to compete? Why does Star Trek choose to compete per per se with these other big budget film like series such as Game of Thrones and et cetera, et cetera? Because I think because we're just coming out of the golden age of television, right? I think I would say the golden age of television is over. I still think we yeah. have good content out there. But it's nothing like it was ten years ago. Um, we're we're just we're past that, and and I think that people still want to hold on to that, and they think this is what we need. And Star Trek has to try and compete with those other things, just because yeah. there's so much stuff out there. Yeah, television is dead. I mean, if you if you look at like, just take CBS as an example, their Thursday comedy lineup, they suck. I haven't watched, like, actual TV in, I mean, honestly, like, actual TV, actual TV uh, uh, going on, like, a decade. I just don't watch it. I don't care about it. Um, You know, I watch my little series and stuff on whatever streaming service, and that's it. That's the wave. But ultimately, you break it down to the basic instinct. It's about money. Mm. It's about making money, and what is popular with people now 
is what they're going to try and put out across the platforms to try and get the market share. That, sure. You know, you want you, you want to make money. You don't make things purely for the love of it. I mean, you, you get directors, writers that really love what they're doing, but ultimately, when you get to a network level, those networks they want to make money on it, mm. right? And I think, and, and I'll just I'll say this, and maybe I'm li- li- I'm living in the past, but. I just you you were listening uh, to some questionable music when I jumped on earlier, so hey. we won't uh, I won't tell them what it is. <laughs> Dang, bro! Dang, we were listening to some uh, some some Will Smith, some Montel Williams, some OMC. Man, we were partying it up like it's 1999. 1999 was a good year for multiple reasons. Anyway, but. You know, like Star Trek, and I'll say this, and then we'll, we'll actually discuss the episode. <laughs> I don't think we've really done much of it, but Star Trek, I mean, even going back to the '60s, was like such a niche, like cult following type of thing. Like Star Trek was never meant to, generally speaking, be this big popular thing. I mean, what obviously it was big and popular because there was success, but it wasn't like mainstream in the same way that a lot of shows are. And I, I'm not, try- I don't hope I'm not putting my foot in my mouth with how I'm trying to describe this, but it's just, it's, it's different. Like Star Trek is different from a lot of television out there. But it became mainstream. Right. Right. It maybe wasn't at the beginning, but it did become that. Sure. The new movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like the newer movies, but I mean, that's, it is what it is. I remember, and this is an aside, but I remember going to the theater and watching the, the first, the first new movie. And, um, I don't know, I, I guess the theater was relatively full. I saw one guy, just one, with a Trek shirt on, and it was a beam me up Scotty. And I liked that guy. Nobody else in that audience was like that. I was sad. <laughs> I like that guy. Just one, one lone Trekkie. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, someone, someone, lead us off with this discussion. With uh, with can, the can we talk about Perfect Tilly? Okay. Oh, 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 like, I want to get back to what you were talking about um, before we got into this 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 discussion about how we discovered the location of the burn, right? And that's like mm. the beginning of this episode, right? Um, and there's one funny thing that happens before this, but we'll get into this. So. Michael Burnham has been on this quest, this burn every bridge I that exists quest to find the location or find the cause of the burn as much as she can. And she doesn't care who she betrays, what happens. She's like, she has to figure it out. And then we go to engineering. I don't know why we're in engineering figuring this out as opposed to just like a science lab. But we go to wherever, and it's just Stamets and Adira there. It's no Burnham. She's not there with them trying to figure this out. Like, why is Michael Burnham not there trying to figure this out? After everything she's done this entire season, should she not be there trying to, like, figure this out with them? It's like, Michael Burnham doesn't mention the burn once in this entire episode. I don't think, like, her story has anything to do with the burn in this episode, and it is bizarre. 
especially coming off the last two episodes that we've had. How bizarre. How bizarre. It's very bizarre. I mean, those, algorithms, any of you think those that algorithms take a long time to compute, But did, did neither of you think that that was strange that she's not there helping them trying to figure this out? Well, yeah, as as the, you know, I, I guess we are calling her the chief, like, science officer, correct? I mean, she's like, head yeah. of, okay, yes. I mean, in that regard, yeah. I mean, it sort of just seems like you're, you're pawning it off on, on somebody else, but as you were so gung-ho about it, and now that's essentially your job. Right. I mean, even first officer till acting first officer Tilly even said that, you know, do it, do it well. But you know, it just it didn't really, didn't really quite. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little strange. And even throughout that, that whole sequence of like building the algorithm and and analyzing the data, she really wasn't there. No, she nope. no, and and that's the thing that was like really annoying too is. We finally are, are knowing where this this stinking burn is, and like we're actually going to get some information, and that was it. Just a little little tease. The episode was just being a tease the entire entire time. Oh, it's going to take like two or three hours to do the algorithm and blah blah blah. And like, I, I don't I don't know like what the internal chronometers were on the ship, but like the way that I was interpreting this episode was like. This was maybe like a morning or, or early afternoon type of thing when this stuff was like maybe starting off. And then we have freaking Adira at the end of the episode taking a nappy nap on a console with Papa Stamets putting his jacket on her. Like, how how does, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this, gents, but like, it just, it wasn't, it was not computing for me. No, I, I definitely, they said a few hours and it seemed like this episode took place over the course of an entire day. Because it yeah. definitely seemed like as Saru and Tilly are walking down the corridor, this is like their morning meeting, mm-hmm. right? This is like, okay, we're getting together in the morning, we're figuring out all the things that have to happen today, and that's like the beginning of our day. And then, yeah, she's falling asleep at the end of the night. And they even have time in between to go, some off time to go play the cello and the piano. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of time happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as you said, David, this could have been this scene right here. This scene, there's no reason this scene had to be in this episode. Like, it doesn't connect with the storyline of the rest of the episode. You could have easily made that the end of the ep- of an episode, or you could have made that act one of, of the next episode. And then, you know, at act one, we have the opening, and then the rest of the story. It, it, it d- didn't yeah. make sense to me to put it in this episode. Mm-hmm. Can, can I also ask you guys a question? And this is this, this isn't co- it, it's including this particular item we're talking about, but also sort of in general because it taps into the end of the episode too. Are are, are you guys at all a little bit annoyed that we're really not getting the full science aspect? Because I feel like we're not getting the full science aspect. We're, okay, so we write an algorithm, but there's no explanation. We have the thing at the end and that really wasn't all that explained all that much either I, I'm much more used to making up a bunch of science words that may or may not be real I don't know I'm not right. a scientist there, but I like hearing that sort of stuff yeah least. all the techno babble is is yeah. seriously lacking and there's no techno babble no no it's just like oh yeah Dero she can whip up a cool algorithm in no uh, time and it'll be hey, great sorry David not she it's they I said that intentionally 
Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it, it was intent because I, I know me and Chase chatted a little bit about that as well. So. No, I mean it, it's po- it, it, it's it's not it's not negative. I mean, if if you just want to jump into that, I mean, we can. I mean, I mean, we can we can talk about that. I think it's certainly important to talk about this because I think this is a big scene, and this is basically what the entire Ready Room episode was about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, David. I don't think you watched the Ready Room. I I, I don't. I I forget about it, and then you guys talk, and I was like, crap, I should watch that. Every and then week. I watch the episode. I'm like. Oh yeah, uh, and then I forget about it. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap! I should have watched that. So, <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I, uh, at the end of the day, I, I, I think, I think inclusivity is good, and I think that um, putting characters of different backgrounds, uh, diversity in whatever form that might take, are, are really cool. I've actually really enjoyed uh, Col- Colburn and um, Stamets's relationship. I think it's cute. And I even think his his their their care for Adira is also really cute. I kind of like that sort of stuff. It's I don't know. It just I think it's I think it's cool. Um, but I mean the the only my only thought was is that we are so many hundreds of years in the future, and for that not to have been accepted by now seems to be weird. Like even even if Stamets didn't know. It seemed like reacting out of anger at that was more of a, of a, like today's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, not, you know, all these hundreds of years in the future. I feel, I feel like we would have ironed this, that anger out a little bit more, but I mean, there would have had to have been a reaction It just, you know, again, I can't call it because I'm, I'm not, I'm not non-binary or, uh, you know, any of that. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't identify as that, but, um. I, I figure it it just uh, it ju- it just came off as a little bit more today. Yeah, one thing I wanna I wanna add to that because, like you said, David, we kind of briefly chit chatted about it on my way to uh, the bookstore yesterday uh, on your on your day off, and yeah, like for me watching it, part of it was a little confusing because I mean, remember. Adira is is a trill, right? Or a, or a trill host, or or whatever. However, you want to say that. So whenever whenever Stamets was starting to say they, I was like, well, that's kind of rude, because like, are you talking about Adira and the symbiote, or or what? And it, I had to like do like a double take on that, like, oh, you're talking about Adira, so. Um, that that's kind of where I was at, and yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you on the whole they them thing. I mean, I work in mental health for crying out loud. I mean, I don't honestly I don't see that a lot with the clients that I work with, but it doesn't mean that I'm I'm opposed to saying it. Um, I think that the whole inclus inclusivity is is important, but Star Trek is, I think, at its heart, like its very soul, supposed to be what we should be striving for as a society. And I mean, like look at something as simple as like cigarettes and cigars and whatnot. Roddenberry, he smoked, but he didn't want people on screen smoking because he's like, that's something that's kind of petty more or less. And I think that we'll have overcome that 
by the time the 23rd century rolls around. And I think that this whole they, them, gender pronoun, and like the reactions that you're bringing up are, are in the same vein. Okay, not that, not that it's petty. Don't, people listening, don't think what I'm saying, it's, it's a petty thing, okay? I'm just saying like the way in which we approach it in the 21st century compared to the 32nd, I think we're going to have advanced a lot in that amount of time. Do, do you think it would have, uh, do you think it would have been acceptable if just at, on the offset, we, we cut that particular interaction and then we just have Stamets referring to Adira as they or them? Just already no, I, have that in place. Do you think that no, would have been I, like a cop out? I think it's important to have Adira themselves say, this is this is who I am and this is how I feel, and not just have it like cut out. I think that's an important character sure. moment for them as a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with that. I just I just wondered what everybody's thoughts would have been on that. But I, I guess if, if I want to put my own thoughts here and say that if you go on IMDb, like there are a lot of people that are like, this is terrible woke garbage and get this wokeness out of my out of my entertainment out of my star trek you terrible hollywood liberals one star and there's even somebody who says the entire purpose of this whole episode was for this one scene of wokeness and they're slamming they're throwing this this transgender stuff down our throats and i don't want this and i'm just like gtfo people like like if you think that that this is not like at the heart of what Star Trek is, this idea of inclusion and diversity, then you don't really know what you're talking about. Like Star Trek has always been incredibly progressive. Yeah. And and this is important here. And um I'll say there's this great scene in in the DS9 documentary What You Leave Behind where they're checking down the list of all of the great like social commentary they did and they they get to like you know transgender issues and gay and lesbian issues and they give a check mark and then it goes like it like scrolls back and it stops and Iris Stephen Bear comes in and says no we didn't accomplish that and he puts you know, a question a, mark on it he puts a question yeah. mark and it's like a like this meta moment where he's understanding like there's more we could have done here and, and I like that we're addressing this. Um, and as you said, with, with Colbert and, and Stamets, I, I like their relationship. I think it's, it's a, I was, I was worried at the beginning that like, they're like, there's sometimes when entertainment will do this, they'll throw in gay characters and they'll, for no reason, there's like, we'll make them gay and that'll show how, how woke we are and how yeah. accepting we are. And it's like, I'm. I'm drawn to Watchmen, this miniseries that aired earlier this year. I don't know if any of you saw it, but there's this there's this scene where one of our characters is gay, and like I don't mind gay characters at all, but like it added nothing to the story. It was just let's make this this gay scene mm-hmm. here, just to show how great we are and accepting we are. It didn't right. add anything, and so when I saw Colbert and Stamets in season one and as a gay couple, I'm like. Are we doing this just to do it, or is there like gonna be a purpose to this? Is it gonna be like something that's good and enjoyable? And I'm really enjoying their relationship. I think it's a good, Same. solid relationship. And I and I really like the interactions between Stamets and Adira here, and like the relationship that they've been building ever since like the first episode where we saw Adira and Stamets was like that little twerp. 
how dare she mess around with my ship and my engines? <laughs> so now, like, they're, like, the closest confidants, and Adira is the one that, that like, she's choosing Stamets to confide in, saying, I'm not a she, I'm a they, and I've never told anybody, and I've never told anybody about Grey showing up to me, and I've never told anybody about Grey, like, now not talking to me. And I, I really am enjoying their their interactions together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then j- just another little piggyback on the whole woke thing. Um, people do realize that the original series had a black woman on the bridge, an Asian man on the bridge, um, a, a Russian, <laughs> a Scottish, uh, you know, but I mean, in the, in their own way in the 60s, they did try and be inclusive, as inclusive as could possibly be at the time. Um, but yeah, and the music scene, I actually enjoy that. I mean, I, I know sometimes the music was... Uh, yeah, at least in like next gen was like you know data doing data things, but I actually kind of I enjoyed their little little duet there. I, I kind of liked it. I I I enjoyed it to a point, and I'm just gonna say this, just my opinion. I'm getting sick and tired of cello in New Trek. <laughs> I'm really getting sick of it. What? What? What would you prefer? I gotta say. I love the cello. Like, my favorite movie, uh, In the Mood for Love, is a Hong Kong film. It has this amazing cello theme that plays through the whole movie. It is fantastic. I just feel like like the cello is just taking so much of, like, center stage right now, like, with Star Trek music under Jeff Russo. And I just, like, I want him to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the, on the use of the cello, please. Jeff Russo, yeah. like, listen, like, tune your ears to my voice, okay? Let my voice tickle your ears for a second, please. Just dial it back just a little bit. Just just a skosh. I mean, I like the cello too. I like me some strings. I, I love the string section. But, uh, please. Okay, the, the cello, and no, no offense to any cello people, but like I, I, I played violin for a number of years. And um, the, the cello is one of the easier instruments to fudge a bit. Because like a violin is much more shrill. And if you mess up, it's very easy to tell. Everybody can tell. And a viola, unfortunately, is the more boring violin, at least by written part. Um, and then you have, like, band instruments. Like, when you start listing down classical instruments, because let's be honest, I mean, we're going to have classical instruments. We're not going to see, like, a guitar. I think the closest thing we had was uh, Spock had, like, a, like almost like a sitar thing. Mm-hmm. In that one hippie episode, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the the name of that. That's been uh, it's been a while since I've did a rewatch. But um, I think the cello it's a it's an extremely elegant in- instrument. It makes amazing tones, and you don't get the shrillness. You just get a deep, rich thing. So I, I kind of understand why why folks get into that. I mean, like, I mean, a trombone. <laughs> Brass instruments? I mean, jazz? I don't know about that. Well, I think there's a reason why the cello is part of your piano trio, right? Because it makes an amazing sound. Yeah. I played the trombone, by the way. Mm. <laughs> oh, I mean, I would have never guessed. <laughs> I mean, like, for real. like I, I, That's I awesome. The trombone. I did not know that. You learn something. The more you know. Oh, okay. 
I feel better, by the way, now that I've been able to tell Jeff Russo something that's been on my heart. So thank you guys for giving me the space to say that. So, so how so about if, that perfect Tilly? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if, if, if we just, I just one more thing, like, to carry on with the, the music scene, like, they have, and Stamets and Adira here, they have this this moment where where Adira is, like, she's literally going through a personality crisis, and um, she doesn't know who she is. She says, I, I wake up, and I don't know who I'm going to feel. Um, I like that idea. I think that, like, that is important to a Trill character to understand who I am, but it also kind of mirrors, like, Blue Del Burrio, or Barrio. Del Barrio, um, yeah. What she's going through as a person in real life, like, who am I, and I'm struggling to understand who I am. And it's absolutely the same exact story that Esri Dax went through. Like, I feel like we had met Jadzia, and she had already basically, like, accepted who she was and she had understood who she was but like when we meet Esri Dax she's young and she's very unsure of herself and they dedicate a lot of time in season 7 to Esri Dax like figuring out who she is and and I liked it then with Esri I, I don't understand the hate or Esri Dax I think the hate to Esri Dax is just because people love Jadzia yeah, and Esri is not Jadzia no. but like like I love, I love that they're Esri Dax, and I, I am enjoying it here as well. Like, I want there to be more for Adira to do. Like David, you said it several weeks ago. Yeah. Once we used Adira to find the Federation, she basically disappeared for three weeks. Like I don't even know if she was in last week's episode. To be honest with you, like I don't remember seeing her. But but even if she was in it, she was in for maybe one scene, and that's like three weeks in a row where she had nothing. Or sorry they had nothing to do and and like i want this character to be to be a bigger character and have more for them to do because that way introducing them is not you don't you can't have the criticism of you're just introducing them to be woke you're you want to introduce yeah. them because they have a purpose mm -hmm. yeah i agree i i, I kind of i like the identity i actually might depending on how they do it i might actually like her uh, filtering through personalities better than the Ezri storyline if they do it well, but yeah, give it, give her something to do. Make her and make her an acting ensign. Put her in engineering. Do something. Where's Where's Reno in all this? Sorry, that's another character. But no, I I, 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 I would like to I would like to see Adira like actually be like more of a part of the crew than just you know a passing character that they just I don't know they don't want to pay every episode or something. Right. I mean, Adira, between Adira being, you know, an inspector with Earth Defense Force and, you know, just being in a jumpsuit now, so to speak, and now uh, we're, we're all over the place. But Book, you know, he also wants to, you know, be part of this Federation thing. So I told you. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> so what and are there's, we going to do? There's no way Book ends up being a commissioned Starfleet officer. That's just not happening. That's Let's like be the chief. So that would be like Han Solo putting on like a Starfleet uniform. It's just not happening. Just feels like home. <laughs> I like I like I like the actor. I like the portrayal. Oh, I, I like the I character. Like, I like the I, like the I even too. like him him and Michael's relationship when they're when they're in that sort of uh, moment together. But the only way to keep him around long term and actually have him be a part is by making him a part of the crew. 
mean, he's just gonna hang in his ship with his cat all the time. That sort of seems like I'd get bored. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, we'll I'm allergic to cats, so I couldn't do it anyway. But I think I think with I think the show would it, it would, it would I personally think it would serve the show well to keep them both on long term and uh, you know make Adira an ensign. I mean. I mean, they kind of did it with um, Kira um, towards the end of Deep Space Nine. I think I've talked about this before, where they made her a Starfleet officer so that negotiations could take place uh, between the Cardassians, I believe, right? Yeah, uh, the Cardassians well, and Starfleet, and they, they wouldn't they, they have they wouldn't have done it with Bajoran. Like the resistance, like to to train the Bajor, the Cardassian resistance against the Dominion, and mm-hmm. they wouldn't accept it coming from a Bajoran, so they gave Kira yeah. a, a commission to a full commander. Yeah, which I I was okay with because I mean, it was the equivalent rank with the Bajoran militia, so it, that was ju- completely justified. I was totally okay with that. Um, and I mean, even in the military, I mean, based on your experience, even your profession, you can jump a couple ranks. Um, legitimately jump a couple ranks, like doctors, for example. Uh, professional uh, professionals in general can go from being like a cadet to being a, um, or even commissioning as like um, an O3, which would be like a captain in the army or um, a lieutenant in the navy. So, I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that book would be um, in that same boat, but I think it would be po- possible, very strong possibility of him maybe commissioning as like a, a lieutenant JG or even a, a lieutenant perhaps. Well, well, I I think Michael Burnham was kind of in the same situation. There's like this flashback scene in, in the beginning where she's graduated from the Vulcan Science Academy, but like they're not going to accept her into the Vulcan Expeditionary Force because Sarek says, they tell Sarek he can only get one, her or Spock, and he chooses Spock. But then, so they send her off to Starfleet and I'm pretty sure when she comes in, she doesn't come in as just an ensign because she's already got enough experience that she at least jumps up to at least a Lieutenant JG. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see that, but I think between the two characters, between uh, Cleveland Booker and Adira, Adira Tall, I'd much rather see Adira get a commission more than Book, but that's just me. I think she. I think she has more to offer the ship than Book does, and I like. I really like David Ajala. Um, I think he's like probably the best character of of the season, in in my opinion. I think he's like the best addition to the cast this season. I think. I think Book could be the guy. Not like, don't don't hate me, people. But it could be like the Garrick character that okay. comes along and you're never sure what his motivations are and okay. sometimes sometimes he's like your foil and you can go on really fun adventures with him but he doesn't need to be there all the time do you want him wearing like really like flashy like suits and <laughs> colorful suits and stuff with a with a little tricom badge yes absolutely <laughs> does he have to sew them himself <laughs> Oh, goodness. I actually think Ren fits a little bit better into that Garrick role, though. If he's going to stay. Okay, yeah. I think I don't think Ren is making out of this season alive. Mm, well, yeah, I, I 
But he likes the crew now, though, so that's that's fun. He's gone over. He, he's gotten over years of bed bedtime stories of going to Federation camp. That's and, not a thing. Uh, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he got over it. He he got over it. And now he's happy. I guess. And he, his his stock still hasn't grown back. Apparently, never will. Who knows? I what takes know. like nine months to grow back? Uh, yeah, we'll yeah, see. But, but we have no, we'll we have see. no idea how much time it, it's been, right? Yeah. So. Okay, so Michael Burnham, right? Right. <laughs> Who loves Michael Burnham? I don't know. I, I, I thought I thought there was a bit of a step back from some of the some of the foil that was going on in, in previous episodes. But yeah, I mean, she clearly had to have a, a storyline, and I mean, that she winds has up being to. the book storyline and so forth. But I, I think, I think she, to me, she felt a lot more unobtrusive in this episode than other episodes. I just, I want to say this, like, and I might be, we're we're all over the place, and that's okay. That's how this episode was too. Um, she has been so Truth. inconsistently written this season and this like just drove me nuts i liked that the the happy burnham you know i in like this the transformation you know i i really liked her for the first episode of this season and it's been a roller coaster ride with her in terms of her emotions and her portrayal and i'm just i'm i'm kind of over it like just please write consistently so we have like a consistent characterization like with her journey and I get that characters are going to have ups and downs like that's just normal that's normal for human beings are going to have ups and downs but it's like we're we're not using the same crayons we're not using the same paint set to to you know put this person together and it's it's annoying it's frustrating as a viewer well I, I, have, I have two comments on that here we go. One is, did we need an episode in between this episode and Scavengers? Could we have done those two episodes back to back? What do you think? Sure. Like, it, like... Yeah, me, yeah, because, because, yeah, we to- got- Tonally, like, we have this, this action-adventure episode in Scavengers, and then we have this supposed courtroom drama which just ups the the melodrama like to like 11 and then we have this other ostensibly action adventure drama and it's like tonal whiplash for me going back and forth and we get jonathan frakes i mentioned earlier with his like light-hearted you know directorial style and and I I'm all over the place with where I'm supposed to be emotionally after these three episodes, and I really feel like we didn't need Unification three in between them. We could have done Scavengers this episode and then Unification three, because we could have taken that scene with figuring out where the burn happened and moved that around into a different episode. There was no reason it had to be in this episode. And and that's and that's my point with what you're saying. Like there's this whiplash. Uh, of, of just like how the the story is is being constructed. So, how and many then, episodes and, uh, are going to be in this season? Thirteen. There's 
13, so it's five okay. more episodes. This is why Star Trek is a 20-plus episode show. In my opinion. Sure. That's why it is, because of how much in Chase's quotation whiplash can be written in. And, and I, I guess my other point is that every every episode of this season has been written by somebody different. Like, it's had, like, different writers. And if you look at the other big science fiction show, science fiction series that's having a television show right now, which is getting rave reviews, there's been one writer, two writers, right? One guy wrote one episode, and then one guy wrote every other episode. And I think if you're doing episodic format, it's probably fine to have a bunch of different writers. But if you're doing serialized storytelling here, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, I think, is is one is an apt like metaphor here. It's just like there's no consistency from week to week in this storytelling. And I think that's really detrimental to it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean this one was uh, written by Oh, let's make sure. This was written by Kenneth Lynn and Brandon Schultz. And yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't seen him elsewhere this season. It doesn't look like. And I mean Kenneth Lynn, uh, just like just peeking ahead with Kenneth Lynn, um, he's going to be writing. Or he's written the the last episode of the season, which is also going to be directed by uh, Jonathan Frakes. No, 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 I'm sorry. Episode 12. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't scroll down far enough. It looked like it was the last one. Episode 12. You were correct. The Good of the People. The penultimate episode. Big fancy word. (sighs) Which means next to last. Yes. It does mean next to last. Second to last. Get your thesaurus out, guys. Jeez. (laughs) Your words. Words are fun. Educated people. It's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what store did you guys want to pick off with? We really, we really I mean, haven't I mean, picked I mean, a party. I guess, I guess Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham. We're going to Quajon, right? The sanctuary. Right. We're we're going there to follow her her boyfriend, who's not her boyfriend, around instead of staying on the ship but, to do her life's I mean, calling. They held hands. They 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 did more than hold hands. Oh, Eric, this is a family show. <laughs> that was last episode. That was last episode. Okay, we're supposed to. I can't remember about that. that. No. <laughs> Things could have changed, man. Things could have been written differently from one episode to the next. <laughs> so anyway, they're on the planet and they're captured. Yeah, they, like she she leaves, she walks away from the burn to go hang out with Book and to um, help him with um, with her with his brother uh, Kaim. Is that how you pronounce it, Kaim? Kaim. Yeah. With his his best Antonio Banderas impression, in my opinion. <laughs> was that an impression, though? I don't know. That's just the vibes I was getting. All right. Well, just watch for the suitcase full of guns. <laughs> right. All right. So we get case. we get down to this planet, and we're trying to find Kaheem, um, and to 
try and help some people out. And there are these little buggers that are flying around. And uh, I, and we finally got to see him. If you watch the ready room, like it was kind of alluded to by um, Nigel Page with like these flying insect things. Um, and they're like inflatable balloons in their heads. That's what makes them fly around. So a um, bunch of bunch of pests. Man, you get Did they remind anybody of like the little floaty things from Avatar? A little bit. I never watched that. Really? Never. Okay. Never. The blue cat people. <laughs> and there's going to be, what, three or four sequels in the near future? Yeah. Near allegedly. future? Alle- allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like 15 years after the original dropped. Good grief. Yeah, so we get this story that, like, the burn somehow, like, subspace vibrations caused the orbit of the moon of this planet to get out of skew and it screwed up the tidal the tidal waves and these sea locusts like were able to come inward into the planet and they were destroying the crops here and nothing that they could do on Quajon they couldn't figure out how to stop it so the emerald chain comes in and says hey we've got repellent right that yeah, we've got your rep- pesticides. Yeah, we got your pesticide, your repellent. We'll send these sea locusts back out to sea. You can you won't starve, but in exchange, we need your transworms. The emerald chain pest control. Love it. And so I, I, my my question is like what do they want the transworms for? I I mean, it can't just be for to execute people. Right? There's got to be something more than that because this ties back into episode one where Book was hiding this transworm on his ship and that's the reason why all of these people were after him in the beginning of the episode and we have that big long chase scene with him and Michael Burnham is they're looking for the transworm. Do you and think- so like what what is it that they want these transworms for that like like Osiris is willing to send her flagship and come herself to this planet? So Eric, what, is, what is their issue? What did we learn was their issue? They're, they're running, running out of dilithium. And that was what I was going to suggest. Is Oh, sorry, Chase. I didn't mean to step on your toes there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead, David. Go. No, right, welcome it, to These Are the Voyages. I'm <laughs> First Officer Ensign. I have uh, supplanted our uh, former captain. And put him in an airlock. I may or may not have pushed some buttons. I don't know where he went. So anyway, no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, like, I think that beyond it just being muscle, right? Like, we, we used the tardigrade in season one as as a, a, a means of navigating and zipping around the cosmos. And perhaps it's this this um, transworm is in the same vein as as the tardigrade. But instead of it being mycelial network navigator thing maybe it is a like a dilithium warp core substitute of sorts since we're running low on dilithium david what do you think you were starting to talk about like the whole dilithium shortage oh i i really don't have any like major like major thoughts on what it could be i mean obviously you know like you said the tardigrade so we've seen creatures assist in some sort of jumping i i would be interested if anyone else had had sort of tapped in this whole mycelial network idea or if it's um 
if it's something like, oh, I don't know, they they eat the the bad dilithium and then they, you know, they digest it and it comes out new. It's great. It's like a it's like a car wash, but for dilithium, except it's a living worm. I don't know. I, I I'm just. I'm just trying to think about like what could be the use for this creature. What's their biggest problem? We know their biggest problem, or at least from what we're told, was they're they're running out of dilithium. And I mean, why else would they need the worm? I mean, what what good is it? Is it like a mining worm? Will it mine more dilithium? I don't know. Are you saying it- that they poop out dilithium? Is that what I just heard? <laughs> hey, who knows, man? I mean, well, clams I mean, make pearls. It, who knows? Well, it, could, it could be like that. Um, there's that great. There's that great TOS episode, uh, Devil in the Dark, where we have that silicon creature, the the Horta, and everyone thinks it's just a monster that's killing people, but it's really trying to protect its children. Those little silicon balls, but yeah. then we we end up at the end. We say, oh well, look, these Horta will. They'll do the mining for us, and like. And is that why they want to use them? Because the, the transworms can burrow like a worm and they can help us find more dilithium? Perhaps. Be interesting. But if I swear, if if these transworms poop out dilithium crystals, I think we got like a little bit of a, of a Soylent Green thing going on. Like if we're eating it's people. It's people! <laughs> <laughs> You know, I made that reference one time to my team, who many of them are older than I am, and some, only a few are younger than I am, and no one got that reference. Hmm. That bothers me. Those uncultured swine. That's horrible. Educate yourselves. <laughs> anyway, jeez. David, this is why we have you. You are our, our cultural guru. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. It's, it makes me feel warm inside. So can we also talk about lack of science a little bit more? Sure. Because with these with these sea locusts, so book can make them kind of do things, but on a small scale. How many how many of, of his people have his ability? What did we call the ability? It's just We're just calling like an uh, empath. 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 He's an empath. Yeah. So how many how many do we know that? Like, have we ever asked that question yet? Like, how many of his people have that ability? No. No, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Um. Well, I would just, I would just start to wonder if, if two people plus the multiplication of a ship can send these uh, sea locusts back could not if they had more people do it themselves and have they never thought about that I mean that's that's a fair point that's a fair question you know of um I mean like yeah how many people are there I mean like if you have the ability if you're part of this ecosystem on on a planet you should have the ability to to take care of it and to to run it the way in which that you do right and you shouldn't need the help of a starship when it's all said and done i mean do you have to do you have to move them all at once i mean do do you have to move them all at once or could it be you know like an overtime kind of situation you know what i'm saying right so i guess you know with with um i guess that question of why this why that uh, I mean, 
what else is there to maybe add on to this this aspect of the conversation regarding you know book and, and books people I mean it just it to me it seemed like a very quick hey we've been struggling with this for however many years and Michael Burnham comes in and she swoops in and saves the day and figures out our solution in like two seconds mm-hmm. and it's just like Michael Burnham the savior again yeah which well, is getting really annoying which is getting really annoying you know with they're also with, under attack by the way with yeah with with the attack that's going on um, up in the orbit above um, we were trying to figure out like how the heck we can get our people out and by the way like I think we missed potentially an important part of, of what's about to happen and that is if we go and re, re, rewind a ways back I mean Admiral, Admiral Vance like knows what's going on but he's saying like don't engage basically and essentially yeah. saying like you need to act like you're an observer more than anything else uh, with like the with um, I think their their um, books planet is it's pre-warp isn't it no way I wouldn't think they were but like I, I took it as like a first not not first contact but like a prime directive kind of kind of thing uh, with with you know just how they were um and it might be that they just don't have warp ships, but I mean, I, I think it seems very clear that they've been interacted with. So okay, yeah, because because the Emerald Chain, yeah. Well, but I, I mean, I, I think Admiral Vance made the point of saying that the Emerald Chain has has made a science out of making contact with pre-warp civilizations, and they've they've come in and they've offered a unique solution to a problem, and in exchange for what they really want. But I, I don't think that's the case here. I definitely think that this is a, is a warp-capable civilization. They just maybe don't have that ability anymore at, since the burn. Okay. So well, are, are, are either of you at all annoyed with, I mean, the Federation's stance? I'm not personally because it's kind of one of those things that's like, well, either you, you die on all your principles and you're gone or you maintain until you can potentially rebuild. But were either of you annoyed by that at, at all? I mean, I wasn't, but I don't know what you guys are thinking. I mean, I think Vance, I mean, we, we've talked about this. Like, Admiral Vance, he, he has to do what he has to do to keep Federation and Starfleet, you know, what's left of it intact. So I think that the way that he's, he's teeing things up in this particular episode is completely justified. And I wasn't particularly bothered by it. I didn't really think too much of it other than like, I mean, you are playing kind of pretty tough with like a lot of these decisions, but at the same time, they make sense with where they are at this point in the timeline. I I guess I have a couple of things is that we've seen so far. I mean, I don't think earth, the planet that we saw in this is a planet in need of healing, but we've definitely seen, like three planets here Trill, Navarre, and this Quajon that are in definite need of, of healing, right? They have they have wounds that need to be mended. And I think that's one thing that the Federation in the past that we've seen in Star Trek has been able to help planets do. Is they've been able to come in and help these wounded planets. And I feel like 
that's not really what the Federation is doing right now. Vance says, I've got 50 small fires I have to put out every day just to maintain the status quo. And that's all he's concerned with. And he's not concerned with trying to rebuild or put things back together. But also at the same instance, Vance, Admiral Vance is the CNC of Starfleet. He's not the head of the Federation, is he? Because those yeah, are two don't. different things. Like yeah. The Federation had a Federation president and a Federation council and a whole team of ambassadors and diplomats. And Starfleet was was, you know, the science military branch of the Federation. So where is that that Federation Council, that Federation president and all the d diplomats in this? Do they exist or not? And that's the thing. We don't we don't know. So, I mean, maybe he has all this undue responsibility being thrust upon him, you know, because he is the CNC of Starfleet, right? Like he is more or less having to be the glue that holds the thing together at this point. So I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a good, I've, I've been wondering the same thing. Like where is the Federation president? I mean, yeah, we're in this bubble, right? We're, we're all hiding out in the middle of, of nowhere invisible. And, but, but where's, where is the Federation? Cause like, you're right. Like Starfleet, we had like Starfleet HQ there, there in San Francisco, but where's the president? Where's the council? Where are all the where are all the people that make up the rest of the government structure? Did that disappear? And did did Starfleet become a government and science military organization altogether? Did we just get rid of the Federation? I don't know. Obviously, we didn't because I mean, the, I mean the the UFP that we saw the flag that we saw in the first episode had like six stars on it with like what two or three of of the big like founding ones still on there. So I don't know. And and the only founding member that we haven't heard from so far is the Tellarites, mm -hmm. right? We know that the, the three other founders are no longer part of the Federation. Mm -hmm. So who are those big stars for? Right. Good question. So anyways, we have this, this big fight that's going on above um, Quajon and Detmer, man. Detmer gets a, t a little bit, bit of time to shine and takes Rin with her in the Millennium Falcon. Okay, so so <laughs> this is the thing, and I want to I want to ask Chase this question. Um, I, I saw this coming, by the way. You're you're the professional. So we saw Detmer struggle with what we all assumed was PTSD, mm -hmm. and then she had this big outburst at the awkward Thanksgiving dinner, right? that we all may or may not have had last week. Um, and then she finally admits, hey, I'm not okay. But then that storyline goes away for like four episodes. We see a little bit of it when they go to rescue the seed ship when they're about to go into the nebula. She's like apprehensive and, oh, that was a closer call than it should have been. But that storyline went away. And you yourself said at that point, I hope we just don't snap our fingers and it's, and it's all better. And I'm just curious here, like, she says, I mean, I think we see a little bit of apprehension from her at the beginning of this episode sure. where, like, she, they say, I had them change the controls, and, the, and Ousakun is like, the controls are supposed to change to you, not the other way around. But then she basically, she gets in this ship, and she's like, 
all you have to do is look at your fears and face them and you can you can overcome them and then at the end she's all like yeah i'm a badass it's like did we did we was that too quick was there was there not enough there good question so let, let's unpack that for a second so with the controls you know with what Awusakun was saying about you know they adapt to you not you to it type of thing um, a lot of a lot of stuff that you you might see with people with like PTSD it's it's trying to have like some control over um, the situation that you're in and um, and I think that because there's familiarity with the the console that she's used to with flying the idea of her and like this thing adapting to her kind of maybe makes her feel uncomfortable because it's it's not safe. She doesn't see it as safe. So I thought that was that was pretty good with how they did the control thing. There is a thing in um, in counseling and in mental health care in general called exposure therapy, and a lot of it has to do with um, like the same thing like with fear, like um, but we'll do it like with um, like phobias for example. Like that's probably like the most basic thing I can call upon as an example like let's say you're afraid of snakes or, or heights or pick anything you might have a phobia of part of of exposure therapy is you gradually increase your um, your uh, proximity so to speak with uh, the stimuli so if you're terrified of snakes like I am I'm not doing exposure therapy with snakes by the way not gonna happen I'm okay being an Indiana Jones and being afraid of snakes. Um, but if it's paralyzing, you know, you would maybe, like, go to a zoo and, like, look through the glass at a snake. Or even, like, look at pictures of snakes on on your computer screen. And eventually, like, as you increase it more and more over time, you desensitize yourself to it and it's no big deal. I mean, it's just like tying your shoes, um, more or less. So the fact that she's... I mean, this has been like probably days. Like, oh, I'm sorry, it hasn't been days. It's been weeks because we had at least a three-week gap when we got back to the Federation. But still, I mean, we got like a month. And I don't see a month being a good enough amount of time to to really say that you're good and that you're a badass again, that you're, that you're fixed. So, yes, this was 100% like a, a snap of the fingers, at least so far, with, um, with Detmer. So... Anyway, I um, I hope that that makes some sense in terms of like the exposure therapy, like and kind of what you were you were getting at, Eric, with um, you know, with Detmer's situation, with what we know about like the crash and like traveling through time and like her constantly thinking about like the crew and the crew's lives. Um, I did like the fact that she got a little bit of confidence back, you know, flying bookship, which I've called the Millennium Falcon because of, like some of the shots in this just remind me too much of, of Han Solo's ship. Like with it being like the cockpit being like way off to the one side and all the spinny stuff going on. There's so much spinny stuff. Like so many spinning ships um, going on and it's it's overkill. Like I think maybe one or two times it's cool, but the rest of it just like, no. Like let's not let's not focus on all the spinnies. Is Please. that like the me- the meta scene in the Phantom Menace where little Anakin's like, "Let's try spinning. Let's see if that yeah. works." Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. J- j- just one quick thing aside for for her whole going manual. 
doesn't that seem like a little bit odd? Like just your your arms are straight, chest length, and I don't know. I would assume that because we're in the future, there has to be some sort of resistance. But wouldn't your arms just get tired of like, you know, just doing this, like, you know, with the little handheld controllers? I thought it was dumb. I don't know why I thought that was dumb. I'm so used to button pushing on these shows that, mm-hmm. you know, little Wii controllers come out and it's like, yeah, now this is flying. I, I don't know. I thought that was weird. <laughs> yeah, like they do. Um, have you ever seen like or participated in a Stein holding competition for like Oktoberfest where you just grab like a, a, a Stein, a, a beer, and you try to hold it out as long as you can. And the last person to drop their arm wins. Can't say that I've participated in that. Participated in that. (laughs) That's great. And and one other other quick little detail thing. So um, I I have now uh, Osira, the Orion. Mm -hmm. Did either of you notice that her face changed? Yep. Yeah. I mean, her chin. It was was her chin. Yeah, it's like a chin prosthesis. It was weird. That whole thing was was just very strange to me, so I don't know. Thought I'd throw that out there. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I guess with that, we should probably start to wind this down and maybe move into our ratings. All right. So for anyone um, that is listening for the first time, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, we do uh, ratings um, of the show where we rate it uh, between a 1 and a 10. We're at that point in the show. Uh, one being a dumpster fire, ten being absolutely amazing, and uh, with that, uh, we're gonna go ahead and get into this and kind of just how we rated it. So, um, Eric, why don't you kick us off and tell us how you uh, would rate this particular episode of Star Trek Discovery? So, I was very critical of the last two episodes, and I think I think all of us were um, uh, very bad. Um, this episode is better than the last two, in my opinion, and maybe it's just better than the last two because, you know, the last two episodes really were really bad. And maybe this is not a great episode by any stretch of the imagination, but I came into this episode, this discussion here, I was going to rate this episode higher. I was higher on this episode before we started this discussion than I am now. And I kind of think once we've talked it through, um, I'm feeling a little bit down on it. Okay. So I I enjoyed the, you know, like, this episode is not filler, okay? Stop it with this filler label. Like, you go on IMDb and so many people are like, filler, filler, filler. And I've said this before. It's, it seems like that's like the worst thing you could ever label a show nowadays. This is character development here. That's what this this episode is. It's not storyline development. Like, our major storyline is the burn, and that's not really what happened in this episode. Instead, we got character building. We have to understand who Book was more because, you know, we got Book in episode one, and then he was in an epi- the episode where we went back to Earth, but not really, and then he was in Scavengers, and then he really wasn't in the last episode very much, and now we're getting him again. So we're just exploring and learning about Book, and... That's fine. I like that. And the best way to understand this character is to either go back to the sanctuary where he took the transworms in episode one or to go back to his home planet. And I like Book and I like learning more about Book. And I think uh, 
Um, yeah, I would have liked there to be more science stuff happening with how we solve the problem on Quajon, but I like that. And that feels to me like, like Star Trek. So this episode is not filler. But with that said, there are way too many things happening in this episode. Like, I, I came in with thinking there was an A and, like, two B plots, right? The A plot on Quajon, and there was, like, the B plot with the burn, and then the other B plot with, with George O. I was kind of, like, putting them on the same level. But then... David's like, yeah, you got the whole Detmer thing, that's there, and you got, like, there's the burn, but then there's also, like, the subplot with Adira and Stamets as well, that's, like, almost like a different plot with that, and you could easily have broken this up into several different episodes, like David said, and told some really good stories in more episodes, and... Maybe you have a 20-episode season. Oh, my God, 20 episodes. <laughs> You're right. So I was much more... I, was, I came into this episode, I was going to give it a 7.25 coming in. Um, but I'm going to drop that down to a 6.75. Like, I still... I did enjoy this episode. I did watch it twice. I didn't have any problem watching it again. I, I was definitely interested in seeing it again. I don't know if I'm going to be interested in you know five years from now hey let me turn on one episode and this is the episode i turn on sure but it's sure. it's definitely an improvement over the last two episodes okay all right david let's hear your your take on it um so yeah i mean my biggest issue is that there were far too many plot lines and we didn't. I don't think we dived far enough into those specific plots for me to be happy, but I am the kind of person who can sit down and watch a three-hour movie and be perfectly content by the end of it. So I, I don't want to be, like, super, super negative, but I, I have been. I, I've been I've been fairly critical of this one, probably far more critical of than any other episode. Um, but like I said, and also what Eric reiterated, there was a Detmer episode in here that you could have explored and really made something cool out of her character, which would have also probably involved Wusakun because they're you know they're they're very close. You have uh, an entire plot with Giorgio that you could have just explored in in its own dedicated episode, and you you know you make make that very impactful. You have a burn episode, you have a book episode. So for me, and even even Ren. I think in some tracks, Ren would have been explored more as a singular character. Um, even with just the Andorian, the Andorian arc of things. I mean, heck, in Enterprise, they probably would have made him Shran. And it's like, this is your link back to the Andorians. And, and they might, they might still do that. He might wind up being somebody, but who knows. Uh, and then the Orion stuff. I mean, there's a lot with that despite the fact that they can change their chins magically. Um, so for me, it was just all over the place. And I'm, and I'm sorry, but there, there's an amount of cringe here with the crew that I, I didn't care for. And I know, Eric, you kind of alluded to the, the cafeteria scene a little bit that I just wasn't really a huge fan of when, oh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a badass now. You know, oh, we're all good. Yeah, we're a crew. Yeah, we love each other. And that, to me, it just it came off like, you know, the analogy I made earlier, a bunch of 30-year-olds playing 16-year-olds. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and then even uh, Perfect Tilly, you know, there was there was no hang-up. 
in her administration of being the first officer, even right down to correcting Ren for being disrespectful to the captain of the ship. So there's no, there's no growth, there's no real story there, which makes me care a lot less about it, about her character, because sometimes you have to stumble in order to wind up at the top, despite that that might sound counterintuitive to gravity. It's just the case. So for me, I feel like this episode had a lot of missteps that could have been really, really good. Like this, this, this could have made easily five phenomenal episodes of any other Star Trek iteration. And that's what irritates me so much about it. But then at the very end here, I had a hard time watching it. I did. I don't want to watch it again. Um, I had moments where I was on my phone playing my little mining game uh, that I play sometimes to pass time because I was just like, I was over it, and which is weird because despite the fact that you guys have lowered, uh, given lower scores to other episodes that I haven't, I still enjoyed watching them. I was still in the moment. I was still in the episode. I was completely thrown out of this one. So just for that, I'm giving it a five. Okay. That's fair. I think you both bring up some some very good points with um, with how this show is like laid out, and I know last week was um, the worst rating that I've given any new Star Trek ever, and um, in in like you know of the Kurtzman era, I should say, uh, with a four and a half, I think is what I, I gave. And um, I said that I never, ever want to watch that episode ever again. And um, I still stand by that, by the way. Um, this week was a little bit better for me. And I don't know if it's because I was just so severely disappointed with last week and a little bit the week before. Um, there were some decent-ish moments, but there it was just so all over the place. With, with just too much too much going on and it's like like eric was saying like in fact like both you gents were saying um i I still enjoyed it i mean i still watched it to to a point you know and and i'm not going to give this episode a four and a half i'm not giving it lower than a four and a half let me just say that um for me i'm i'm more in the ballpark of being around a six probably like a six and a quarter is kind of where i'm camping out the most uh with this one um, fair, kind of an average-ish episode. I mean, I like what you're saying, Eric, about um, character growth. It, I'm gonna probably tick you off a little bit. It did feel like feel like filler to me. Like it was just like kind of there. Like it was kind of just disjointed, and like that's what I mean by like filler. It just was like kind of there, like just serving like an episode for the sake of an episode. But with that, there was good character development. And that's why I said, like, if you had switched this episode in Unification, mm-hmm. Part 3, I think you probably would feel less about filler because, mm-hmm. you know, okay, we've got the burn data. Let's let's go do that instead of go do this side mission. Right. So I, I'm sticking with, with a six and a quarter on, on this particular episode. So, I mean, we're, we're all, like, in, in the general neighborhood of the rating. It's- it's a strange day when I give the highest rating. <laughs> Very strange day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, with that, um, we've arrived at the end. Um, and we are now uh, moving into a two-parter of a serialized story, which is 
that's weird to kind of say. Anyway, we're going into a two-parter these next two weeks, to, uh, Terra Firma Part 1 and Part 2. And uh, we'll see what's in store. We're not going to spoil um, stuff right now. Um, I mean, if you watch the previews, you kind of have an idea of like what's kind of going on. And maybe we'll see more of like what's going to happen like with Detmer and Philippa and Book and all, all the people with this show. Um, like with how this episode ends and what that means going into the next one. Um, any, any final thoughts? Just like one quick... One or two quick thoughts that y'all want to add, maybe before we we completely call it a day. Are we good? I mean, we could have talked about all the little subplots, as you said, for sure. longer. But like, that'd be like a thirteen-hour podcast if we yeah, were to do like, that, because there's so like, much stuff going on. There's so much stuff in this episode. Like, yeah. I don't even feel like we really even talked about Georgiou at all. Where well, we really didn't, or the terrible graphics they used for her morphing thing. Okay, we, we just checked the box, apparently. So I think her, her yeah, sound yeah. wave face. I have a feeling that we'll talk about Georgiou a lot next week. Yeah. That's that's a sneaking suspicion. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, dear listeners, people out there in listener land, the peanut gallery, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, thank you for listening. Um, you know, our opinions are not the only opinions out there. So, what do you think of this episode? Um, is it in the same ballpark as what uh, myself and the gents gave it? Um, or is it higher? Is it lower? Is it? Did you give it a one? I mean, did you give it? A, did you give it a negative one? We gotta know. Or an eleven? I don't know. Uh, let us know uh, what you thought about this. And um, if you want to check out the video version of this, um, this go. This will be up on on Patreon for all of our patrons, um, so you can see all the shenanigans that um, we were we were into visually uh, while we were putting this episode together for you. Um, otherwise. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, make sure you go to trtvpod.com and um, you can see ways to interact with us there. We're on all the socials. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at trtvpod. And, uh, of course, there's a group. Uh, we find ways to connect there, too. Um, if you just want to you know, send us a note and you know, leave a comment, you can do that on our Hailing Frequencies page on our website. You can also send us an email at trtvpod.com. I'm sorry, trtvpod at gmail.com. I already said the other .com. And, uh, wow, I'm way out of it. Um, if you also want to send us a voice-only uh, transmission, you can do that by entering coordinates to 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of Engage. Finally, if you do want to mail us something, like a gun or a dagger or a piece of an antenna, you can do that. Make sure you get to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. Guys and gals and they and them, thank you for listening to us. And as always, me always remember to boldly go and make it so.